Hey, everybody. Welcome to the back room. I'm Andy Ostroy. That was uh, a week ago, last Saturday, uh, the day after the Supreme Court of the United States overturned Roe v. Wade after 50 years of being settled law. What a week this has been. Um, We have Roe v. Wade being overturned, and we learned that Donald Trump wanted maniacs carrying AR-15s to storm the Capitol in his coup attempt. I mean, it's actually, when you think about it, um, it's efficient. I mean, if you're going to actually storm the Capitol and take over the government, you need weapons, right? I mean, so it's not shocking that this maniac actually called for armed people to storm the Capitol. We have an incredibly exciting show today. Um, we're going to be getting into the Roe v. Wade issue in detail. Uh, our first guest is going to be Annie Sunberg, uh, who made a film called Reversing Roe. Uh, and we'll talk to her uh, about that film, which came out four years ago. Uh, I mean, to be as prescient as to make a film called Reversing Roe. Um, and then we're going to talk to uh, Hillary Burton, who uh, this week... Uh, shared her story, her personal story of, a, of you know, struggling to uh, conceive and how this issue impacted her and her family. And uh, we're really excited about that. Um, I, I think, you know, before we get into the interviews, I want to talk about the hearings. Because we're, you know, when, I, when Watergate uh, was happening, I was like, 12 or 13 year olds, uh, 12 or 13 years old. And uh, this may come as a shock, but as a 12 or 13 year old boy, those other things I was discovering in those moments and Richard Nixon wasn't one of them. Um, so I was busy, but I always wished that I had been old enough to really understand and watch those hearings and see what's going on. And, and now it's happening again on stage. Steroids. It's just truly unbelievable what we learned this week. We had a witness testify in the January 6th committee hearings, a young woman by the name of Cassidy Hutchinson. And I think she's 25 or 26 years old. Um, I've got three daughters, and uh, two of my daughters are uh, older than her. And it, And it's just... As a father, you know, you, you, you look at someone like that and you think about her poise and her courage and her devotion to democracy. And it's just truly inspiring what she did, um, how she sat there uh, for hours and, and really put her life in jeopardy. And this country owes her, as Liz Cheney said, a, a great uh, debt of gratitude. Um, so the most recent thing that happened this week is that uh, they, they it, it, with the hearings is that the committee is um, subpoenaed Pat Cipollone. 
Cipollone. Cipollone, Cipollone, Bologna. Like it just, to me, all I hear is Bologna. But Cipollone. Maddie said it's Cipollone. I trust Maddie. Um, and he was the White House counsel for Trump. And he was a good chunk of what uh, Ms. Hutchison said this week in her testimony. He knows exactly how cray-cray, how just batshit crazy the events leading up to January 6th were in terms of culpability in the Trump White House and with Trump in particular uh, and with his chief of staff, uh, Mark Meadows. So it's going to be real interesting to see whether Cipollone hides behind um, executive privilege, which Joe Biden can decide whether or not there's privilege there. The current president gets to decide that. Um, and whether as a lawyer, an active, active working lawyer, he's going to risk his law license and skirt the law and thumb his nose at a subpoena, a congressional subpoena, which has almost as much weight as a judicial subpoena from like the, the courts. Um, but you know, the things that went down this week in her testimony, I mean, I'm assuming you guys have been, you know, watching or at least get, getting some of it through the news in a summary form at some point during the day if you're working during the day and couldn't watch. But, you know, you talk, you, you, the stuff about the, the, the weapons and the magnetometers, you know, the, the uh, metal detectors that were set up on the mall that Trump wanted taken down because his cultists couldn't get through with their AR-15s. I mean, he was like, take them down. Take them down because right now my crowd size isn't big enough. And if all these Rambos come in with their AR-15s, not only do I get a big crowd, but when we march down to the Capitol, I have all these armed people with me and it certainly helps me overthrow the government. I mean, this is literally what came out this week. Um... And then the other two things which uh, came out of her testimony, you know, I, I say this all the time, like if I could go, like, I don't know if you guys feel the same way, but like, are there things in the past in history that you want to go back in time for? Like, oh, I wish I can go back to 86 at Chase Stadium or whatever when the Mets won the World Series, or I wish I can go, like, I always want to go back to the Woodstock concert. I mean, all my favorite musicians are, were at that concert, and I just, I would love to have been like 19 years old at Woodstock. But this week that changed. Well, I want to go back. I want to be back in that limo when, when Trump allegedly lunged for the steering wheel, according to the testimony of Cassidy Hutchison, and then tried to choke his Secret Service agent. Like, can you imagine what, what was going on in that car in the moment when they're like, Mr. President, no, we're going back to the White House. We're not going to the Capitol. And he's like, no, we're going to the Capitol. And he's like reaching over the thing and he's grabbing the wheel. Like, this is the United States president. And then he like apparently turned to his lead agent and like went for his throat. I mean, it's just, it's mind boggling to think about, you know, there's like no bottom. Every day when you wake up and you're like, oh man, I could not, there's not anything else I can learn about Trump that, that can make me think, oh Jesus, he's even more crazy than I thought. Yes, but literally, it's almost like every day something else manages to come out in the news or in this kind of testimony 
that's that makes you go to that next level and go like, oh my God, I, I thought he was a sociopath and a maniac, but he's he's so much worse than that. There's just ne- it, 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 there's no bottom, um, and so this testimony that she gave it, it was so damaging to him, um, and also damaging to. Uh, Meadows, uh, Maddie, we have that clip where like she's talking about him, just like he knows everything, but he doesn't seem to give a shit. Let's let's hear that. What was Mark's reaction, Mr. Meadows' reaction to this list of weapons that people had in the crowd? When Tony and I went in to talk to Mark that morning, Mark was sitting on his couch and on his phone, which is something typical. And I remember Tony just got right into it. I was like, "Sorry, I just want to let you know," and informed him like. This is how many people we have outside the mags right now. These are the weapons that we're known to have. It's possible he listed more weapons off that I just don't recall. Um, and gave him a brief but inconcise explanation, but also fairly fairly thorough. And I remember distinctly Mark not looking up from his phone. And I, I remember Tony finishing his explanation and it taking a few seconds for Mark to say something to the point where I almost said, Mark, did you hear him? Um, and then Mark chimed in and was like, all right, anything else? Still looking down at his phone. And Tony looked at me and I looked at Tony and he, Tony said, no, sir, do you have any questions? He's like, what are you hearing? And I looked at Tony and I was like, sir, he just told you about what was happening down at the rallies. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, you were talking about the chief of, the White House chief of staff, who's basically like, yeah, okay, insurrection, weapons, people potentially dying, overthrowing the government. Yeah, whatever. Okay, is the is the Uber here? Like, it's mind-numbing. And then she tells us a story about uh, going into, I guess, wherever Trumpy eats his... his his highly nutritious daily lunch. Uh, and she walks into the room and it's like, it's like a scene out of the odd couple where Walt, uh, Walter Matthau threw, threw uh, for the young people out there. If you haven't seen the odd couple with Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon run to see that movie today. Just trust me on this. So <laughs> Walter Matthau is an, a, 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 a messy dude Jack Lemmon is obsessively clean, and they're having this fight, and Jack Lemmon had made him spaghetti or something for dinner, and they're fighting, and he, and, and he goes, I don't, want to, I don't want your damn linguine or whatever, and Jack Lemmon starts laughing, smirking. He goes, what are you laughing at, Felix? And he goes, spaghetti, it's linguine. And Walter Matthau picks up the spaghetti plate, throws it against the wall, and looks at him and goes, now it's garbage! I mean, that's what it was like in the White House. Like, ketchup is dripping off the wall. Let's, let's play that, that clip. After Mark had returned, I left the office and went down to the dining room. And I noticed that the door was propped open and the valet was inside the dining room changing the tablecloth off of the dining room table. He motioned for me to come in and then pointed towards the front of the room near the fireplace mantle and the TV where I first noticed... There was ketchup dripping down the wall, and there's a shattered porcelain plate on the floor. The valet had articulated that the president was extremely angry at 
the Attorney General's AP interview and had thrown his lunch against the wall, um, which was causing them to have to clean up. So I, I grabbed a towel and started wiping the ketchup off of the wall to help the valet out. What is he, fucking three? I mean, I have three grandchildren, okay? They're all under, they're all three or under, okay? Uh, um, and so, four or under. Under four, I should say. This is what a three-year-old does. He doesn't like his mac and cheese. He takes the plate and throws it out. I mean, this, we're talking about the United States president. And then they, I guess they asked her, you know, has, has, have there been other episodes of Trumpy throwing his lunch against the wall? And she goes, yes, I've seen... I've seen lots of other broken dishes and things like that. I mean, unbe- unbelievable. I mean, I'm watching The West Wing right now. It took me 23 years to go back in time and watch The West Wing. And you think about Jed, President Jed Bartlett and, and all these guys, how smart and dedicated and professional. And Bartlett is like this genius. He knows everything about everything. And he's so astute and inspiring. And it's like, what must have gone on in that West Wing every day of the Trump presidency. I mean, we 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 kind of know things that happened like in general, but like I'm talking just like the day-to-day inter-office, like the the communications or like I mean it it must have been like a just a fucking loony bin day after day after day. And now we're sort of getting some audios and visuals on that and we and and the extent of his mania and and petulance and rage i mean this guy i mean president of the united states fingers on the nuclear buttons the mind of a three-year-old unbelievable um and the last thing i i I think again i I just want to say we do owe this woman of this young woman uh i mean we all need to think about what we were doing when we were 25 years old Okay, here's a woman who not only worked in the White House, which is a feat unto itself, but to sit there before Congress with such poise and determination and love of country to testify the way she did, knowing, knowing that her life is in jeopardy. And by the way, we're now learning that the, the witness tampering uh, messages that were conveyed to her by the Trump gang about, you know, don't testify. I mean, this is like mob shit, you know? Hey, the big guy, the big guy wants you to, you know, be nice to him, okay? When you go there tomorrow for your for your freaking testimony. Like, they were pressuring her and like, wink, wink, we're gonna, your life, you could die if you don't do what is good for Trump. Like, it's just truly unbelievable what she ex- subjected herself to and she did it. And here's a little bit of her explaining why. As an American, I was disgusted. It was unpatriotic. It was un-American. We were watching the Capitol building get defaced over a lie. I mean, kudos to her. I think we were, we were all disgusted. And the big question is going to be, what happens? What happens? What happens to Trump? Is he going to be Teflon Don again? Or is this all building up to something um, that's going to end in indictment? 
it's it's almost impossible to fathom how someone who did everything he's done that we now know from witness tampering to inciting violence to trying to overthrow the government to all kinds of fundraising fraud, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The Georgia stuff, which is before a grand jury and, and uh, trying to find 11,000 whatever votes, how he could not end up indicted. And so the, the pressure is really on Merrick Garland, uh, Attorney General Merrick Garland and, and the D- Department of Justice. And hopefully everything we're watching and... You know, I got to say that what I've seen so far, it makes me really appreciate what is probably coming next out of the committee in the next hearings, because they've done a masterful job in a very succinct way of demonstrating the criminality of Donald Trump and those closest to him. So let's keep an eye on that as we go forward. Uh, Jumping back to Roe for a second, uh, I want to play a clip from Nancy Pelosi. A woman's right to choose reproductive freedom is on the ballot in November. We cannot allow them to take charge so that they can institute their goal, which is to criminalize reproductive freedom. But that's what they're doing. And so it'll be interesting to see what from Joe Biden, President Biden, down to the House with Nancy Pelosi, to Schumer in the Senate. What happens in in the midterms in November? Um, But I got to say, people, at the end of the day, we live in a democracy, a representative democracy, but a democracy no less. And in a democracy, you can change things by voting. Uh, In this country, I think it's maybe 55 to 60% of the population votes. And that's crazy. Um, Imagine what would happen if 80% of Democrats voted. Just think of the change in this country that we could affect if we substantially increased voter turnout. Because that's how it's, that's how things are going to, you know, things are going to change. You put the right people in office, you know, there's, there's, you know, there's limits to what Joe Biden can do in terms of executive orders. It has to come through getting rid of the people who are doing this really bad shit in our country, whether it's abortion, whether it's gun violence, whether it's tearing apart our voting voter rights systems and protections, uh, climate, education, health care. The list can go on and on and on. But we have a system. It's called the House and the Senate, and they make laws. And the people who make the laws are voted in by us. So, uh, you know, I'm one of those people that's not going to put all the onus on these people. I'm going to say that we put them there. And so whatever we do or don't do, and whoever we put there or don't put in Washington, that's on us. There's no excuse. We can't be an apathetic voter population. We have to be putting people in office who are going to represent our rights and our agenda and the needs of average Americans and women and LGBTQ and people who love our planet. Uh, You know, it's just, can't just stay home and and watch the Kardashians and think the world's going to be okay. Anyway, I'm going to stop preaching on that. 
But I want to go to another clip, which actually uh, sort of had the same effect of sitting in a comedy club. Uh, this was when Peggy Noonan was on, uh, I think, Meet the Press this past Sunday. She was talking about, uh, you know, it's always going to be those people who are like, oh, this is good. Roe v-, Roe v. Wade was overturned. That's a good thing for women. Anyway, let's play that clip. Look, you know what the Republican Party should do now? It should use this victory, if you see it that way, to change itself and become a party that helps women change its reputation, become a party that helps women and children, becomes responsible and support. Yeah, I I mean, I don't know about you guys, but that's how I've always looked at the Republican Party. It's the, the party that likes to really help women and kids and sick people and poor people. And yeah, sure. So it's like, you know, look, we're going to really fuck with women right now. We're going to take away their right to have an abortion. We're probably going to take away their contraception opportunities. We're going to do all that. But at the end of the day, we love women. We're really going to really going to take care of women. We're going to enact laws. You know, all that shit we've never done before. We're going to do that now because we love women. We, We love women so much that we're probably going to do absolutely nothing, just like we always have. And so for Peggy Noonan to go on TV and literally get laughed at, I mean, there's like an unwritten rule on these shows. Like, you don't like mock your fellow panelists, but like, it just could, it was like the dam, excuse me, the dam broke. And they couldn't, you know, they use this victory, you know, to change itself and become the party that helps women and children. Unbelievable. And so this is where voters have to really look and say, okay, is this what we're going to, we're going to buy into this bullshit that this somehow is going to be great for women? Uh, or is what Peggy Noonan and those like her, uh, is what she said, the, the, what's going to fuel the, the, the rage and the, and the, and the, and mobilize people to vote in November to get rid of these people who clearly don't care about women. Um, all right, so enough on that. We're going to, I think, uh, we're going to go to our guest, which I'm really excited about. She is filmmaker Annie Sundberg. She co-directed and co-produced with Ricky Stern the Netflix original film in 2018, Reversing Row, which was also executive produced by Ava Longoria. Reversing Row offers candid and riveting interviews with key figures from both sides of the divide. Regardless of where you stand on the issue of abortion, Reversing Row is essential viewing to understand how the country got here and where it may be going. Uh, in the last week or so, unfortunately, uh, we kind of know where, it, where it's going. Uh, Annie, welcome uh, to the back room. Thank you so much, Andy. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. So I want to get right into uh, the film uh, Reversing Row, which I got to say, you know, it's four years old. I mean, you were quite prescient in putting this together. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we all know where we are today with the reversal uh, a little over a week ago, I guess, of of Roe v. Wade um, after 50 years of being um, uh, two times uh, reaffirmed uh, as settled law um in the very beginning of the film uh, troy newman president of operation rescue he says we want to end abortion if we're going to do it through continuous legislation we're going to go back again and again and again until we win 
and they did. Yep. What what exactly? They I mean he was telegraphing. We've all seen for decades yeah. what they wanted to do. Where did the left go wrong? This has been a question. It's it's so ironic that you ask this now because I wish we'd asked this twenty years ago. I think what happened is early on the pro-life movement won the language war simply by claiming pro-life. I think there was a huge ability to um, rally people. I think they also had a very strong understanding that people would vote on this issue alone. And I think for the left, it's always been a challenge when you have a right. It's hard to get ginned up about protecting it. There's an assumption that there, for many years, you know, even after Casey, there was a sense that it was part of women's rights that that this was now fundamental and that it was considered settled law and i think even recently as we heard in all the supreme court nomination hearings we heard justices also declare an understanding of um stare decisis of settled law i think that for the left there was a real reliance upon um a protection that they felt was federally enshrined. I also think that the the right, um, the people who were really, whether or not it's we want to call them right or if we just want to want to call them anti-abortion, this group was really really good at playing a terror game, appealing to certain emotions, playing numbers without factual basis, taking extreme examples, and playing on any sort of moral middle ground that they could, and they got people out to vote. It was really clear to us when we were making the film that the people in Texas were incredibly effective at working their voter registration lists. They were they have been grassroots organizing since 1973. And the way they do it is they go through churches, they go through communities, they understood populations that really felt strongly about this as um, a belief issue and never saw this as a woman's right to choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of the, where the left got wrong, went wrong, I also think that there was a sense of... Um, we, I don't think women realize what what is bound up in the rights to a safe and legal abortion. I think many women right now are feeling conscribed, feeling angry, feeling that a freedom has dropped away from them that they never expected to feel in t- 2022. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I think of Roe v. Wade, and you know, I've been living now for 62 years, and Ever since I can remember, it's they're gonna they're gonna overturn Roe v. Wade, but they didn't. And when when I look at when I try to assess like the landscape and what happened, it's hard for me not to come back to the word Trump, like this perfect storm of this candidate who came out of nowhere as a joke. Somehow he ended up winning. Then you combine that with. A lot of what you just said, a lot of all the rhetoric and the and the on the ground mobilization, which had been occurring for fifty years, and and failing basically for the most part, but then all of a sudden the the, the game changed, the rules changed. McConnell with what he did with uh, stealing Merrick Garland's seat, totally. you know, yep. and and then this other perfect storm thing of of RBG dying and just it was as if like everything all of a sudden at once went exactly as planned in their wildest fantasies yeah and then boom there you go 
was like like lighting a, a match a in a fo- forest fire in California. Like if the yeah. ground is just so dry, like boom. And he was that match. He was that match, and he—I don't know if you saw—and and, you know, forgive me for—I uh, I don't want to play into something that is sort of a game that's whether or not we can we we can win this game. But there's now a lot of speculation about who in the political world has had abortions, or who has helped their daughters, their wives mm-hmm. have abortions, and these are the same for the most part men who are really adamant about restricting women's rights. And I think about the hypocrisy on so many levels of the Trump presidency. And what was just a cruel wielding of power. And I and I see it still now. And I think one of the things we've talked about, Ricky and I as filmmakers, is do you start to really look at, do we do a, a project that's just short and sweet and looks directly at hypocrisy of current leaders? Um, oh, and, totally. and make it, you know, yeah, just and make it a real gotcha issue, right? Or just specifically focused on access to abortion. I mean, look, when, so. I, when, when, I mean, we're all angry right now and livid. And it's, it's, you know, as a man, it's as, as angry as I am, it's hard for me to understand and really even begin to fathom what women must be feeling today. You know, I could only empathize and be angry to a certain degree. It's not my body. It's not my choice. It's not my situation. But when I think about Roe being overturned and I think about how it was Trump who did it. Mm-hmm. To your point, someone who probably has paid for more abortions in his lifetime than anyone. But to also to your point, and to his point years ago when he said I could shoot someone on Fifth, in Fifth Avenue and still not lose support, I yeah. almost feel like if if someone like you or someone else came out and said, here is proof that trump paid for 500 abortions that his people and a lot of the even not so much the the cultists even just general republicans like jim jordan those guys would be like he did a good thing because those women begged him to help them i mean like it would get so convoluted in the defense of him that it's almost like hypocrisy schmipocrisy it doesn't matter like the nothing but but nothing the, sticks. But the saving but, grace in all of this, and we're starting to see it a little bit, mm-hmm. is that we don't need to convert all of his people. We don't need to convert all Republicans. A no. good day for Democrats in the next two elections is if we can shift, you know, anywhere from three to ten percent of the of the of the people over to the independent and or or, or Democrat side. And so yeah. Maybe that's where a movie like that that you talk about and a movement like that that shines a light on that hypocrisy would be incredible. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've been really surprised by, I mean, I was looking at, we have a good friend who's running for the third district in Colorado, Adam Frisch, and he's going up against Bobert in the general now. He just won the primary. And there's a whole swath. I mean, that's one of the largest districts in the United States in Colorado. And Colorado is a pretty purple state right now. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of people who I think really do want common sense protect, you know, just basically some decency back in government again. And I hate to use that word, but I think that there's a sense of civility and civics that has just been thrown asunder and the idea that we can ever have a true democratic process again people don't trust the process anymore people have you know questioned the legitimacy of the supreme court over their recent rulings i think there's a huge sense of of a country that is no longer um, representative of what the voters and the people who live here actually want i mean going back to abortion for a second 
we've always talked about how the majority of Americans want access. They've always, it's been consistently polled and, 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 and tested time and again. People want access to safe and legal abortions. And what the anti-abortion groups did really, really well is they really played the abortion on demand anytime. And you saw in our film, Trump used that line in the final debates against Hillary. And in some ways it really mm -hmm. clinched it for him, especially with the pro-life evangelical groups who really motivated their voters. He really played up this fear factor that women are going in up until they give birth to have an abortion. And Even after, after, false. after birth. <laughs> exactly. exactly. It's like, and how come no one at that point goes, uh, wait, excuse me, uh, Mr. Trump, just stop for a second. I mean, after birth, really? Like, no one just bothers right. to go, that sounds insane. Why are you even right. accusing the left of that? Like, we, we even right. we can't buy that. But they do. They oh buy God. that. They do buy that. And I think that that's where the anti-abortion groups really, they did that language play so effectively. And one thing, speaking of language play, and I don't know if you saw this because it appeared for a nanosecond and disappeared last week. But Lauren Santa Domingo had a tweet that went up and it said, at Ivanka Trump, you are noticeably quiet today. This was the day after the Roe decision. Um, the high school friends who took you to get an abortion are not. Mm. And it was fascinating to see how that blew up. The impact that happened um, for Lauren was horrible. But several people who were in her circle stood by her and shared it on their own social medias. Mm -hmm. And it's just this idea that even his own daughter, you know, hello. Can we talk about what this really means for women in this country? Women will continue having abortion. The problem now is that, um, you know, it's funny, I was just looking at this thing today. Even in Texas, they're ill-prepared to deal with what's going to happen in terms of, you know, the, the places where people really can't get access for lots of reasons are going to have a lot of unwanted pregnancies. Yeah, you know, it, the frustrating thing for me in our conversation that we're having right now, and I, I'm guilty of this every day, as, as I think most Democrats and liberals are, is that we're having a very rational conversation. Right. And we've, we always, I mean, even six years after Trump, it, it's still hard not to have the, boy, if only this came out conversation. Right. Like, but it just, it, it sometimes feels like no matter with, if we're talking about a cult, which is what this is, and I watch a lot of cult documentaries, people are brainwashed. They're, his base is brainwashed. And then you have that next group, which is the power base, you know, the Jim Jordans, all the people who, right. you know, Mo Brooks and these guys who have tethered themselves to him, knowing exactly what he is, right? Because they're smart, but they're also power hungry. It's like, look at all the shit that's come out in the last six years about him, about his family, oh, yeah. about his kids. Like, none of it, and I think that's going to change, by the way, with with J6 and the, and the Justice Department at some point soon. But yeah. nothing has stuck because, I mean, all you got to do is watch these Jordan Klepper videos. You ever, have you seen his latest one? Uh, the no, one? I haven't. I, I'll it, is, it, uh, it, is, it is unbelievable. <laughs> um, uh, they, he, he goes out to a rally, a Trump rally, and he starts talking about J6 and the fact that most of these people don't even know what J6 is. But he, he finds these two girls and they say we don't trust anything. We don't trust anybody. We don't trust. Well, we. And he's like, well, who do you who do you who do you trust? And you know, Trump. And he's like, but here, here's here's Barr saying J six was bullshit. I mean, the 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 rigged election rhetoric is bullshit. And they're like, well, I, I don't I don't believe him. And they and he goes, well, who do you believe? And they go, Ivanka. 
He goes, oh, you, you believe Ivanka? Yeah. And then he, then he shows a video of Ivanka going, uh, I kind of believe everything Barr just said. And then he goes, okay, so what, what do you say to that? And they're like, all right, I think it's time for this interview to be over. Like, you can literally show them everything you, I mean, and it's just, it's literally like Richard Pryor's old routine. Are you going to believe me or your lion eyes? And they believe their lion eyes. That's his yeah. evil genius is that he had these people under his spell and between his promise to McConnell and the Republicans, like if you, you, you like me, I give you a conservative Supreme Court, you get a conservative Supreme Court, you overturn Roe. And it's just like, I don't know, I feel like all of us have been on the Titanic and we're like, yep, there's the iceberg. Yep, it's coming, it's coming. There it is. Wow, it's big. And boom, it hits. And then we got Roe overturned. And that's why your film is so amazing is that that was four years ago and it's just unbelievable that there was that that i mean yeah, Andy, I mean, they had people just sitting in back rooms like john Sego's group with the texas right to life they had people just sitting there playing the what if game how do i mean they had the you know people who were always thinking legally you know legislatively what if we try this one what if we try this one and it's no great surprise that texas came up with the vigilante law and now this idea of targeting women who and criminalizing them for seeking abortions out of state this idea that you could actually charge a woman with a crime that's that's going to be on the books i mean the end of row for pro-life groups is not the end game they are going to work until it's illegal everywhere in the united states unless we really push back and i think right now you know we're going to live in a country where half the states you know more than half the states will have absolutely no abortion and women will have to choose where do i want to live yeah. How do I want to live my life? Where yeah, I want, I, want to, I want to play a clip. We have the Carol Tobias clip set up. Mm-hmm. I just want to play this clip from your film. This is Carol Tobias, president of the National Right to Life. I mean, when I heard that in your film, and it's like, president national right to life and to the point you just made about contraception and you know we better get out there and it it, it seems like we all knew all the important people everybody who was in this fight right down to the people sitting at home worried saw that iceberg coming so my concern is you know you're right and i was going to ask you where you think we go from here but contraception all this a, a, a federal ban whatever if we couldn't stop, if we saw that iceberg so clearly, as Carol Tobias and others point out, and your film pointed out, can is there really anything we can do to stop a federal ban, a complete total ban across the country, contraception, et cetera, et cetera? Well, I mean, my understanding legally is that the federal government has basically taken their hands off abortion and thrown it completely back to the states. And so now it really is a state's issue. So it's not, I mean, there could be a federal ban potentially, but what would be the case that would create that? I don't know. That's where I'm not thinking like a Texas for you know, right mm-hmm. to lifer. Um, I have to do some more sort of like scratching my head about what that would be. But I think, I don't think, I honestly don't believe that the Supreme Court is insane enough to consider a case that would basically, um, they, they've basically rescinded a right, as we know, which is an incredibly rare if unheard of thing for the Supreme Court to do, mostly these decisions expand rights and protections mm-hmm. for individuals in this country. They've taken away what many people consider to be a fundamental right for women and women's equality. But to now then say, we're going to further enshrine that, I, I honestly, I, I actually don't 
predict a federal ban on abortion. Mm -hmm. I just think it's going to be a really harsh state-by-state battle. And I think what's going to be really tricky now is there's going to be challenges for laws that will really um, target over-the-counter, basically mepipristone, like the idea of the anti-abortion or the board of medicines that can be mailed and done with telemedicine. Mm -hmm. There's going to be restrictions on those going to women in certain states that prohibit abortion. And I think Plan B could also be targeted next. And I think that, you know, one of the things we've also talked about is with this recent spate of decisions, what's going to happen with other decisions that rely in part on rights to privacy, same-sex marriage? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of speculation in those haunting words of Clarence Thomas in the decision about revisiting certain cases and precedents. What, What does that mean? I don't know, but it's certainly not reassuring. So is there, uh, it sounds like there could be a reversing democracy film in your future. (laughs) Please, please. We made a film called The End of America years ago. I don't want to make that again. Oh, Jesus. You're going to ruin my Friday night now. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be watching that tonight. It is sad, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's really sad. It's really sad. And I think one of the things we've also said is, you know, like my husband, he he was really... um, he was watching quite a bit of the January 6th hearings. And I and I think now, who else is watching? And who should be watching who's not watching? So, yeah. But, you know, I, I, was, I was in my car this morning listening to uh, uh, CNN. And they were talking about how there's major Republican fundraiser dollars that might be shifting away from Trump, like, like real estate magnets who previously supported Trump may not be supporting again him again. And they got into the conversation of, well, you know, these people who really do like the stuff he did, you know, will they still stick with him? And I was thinking, like, what kind of human are you that could say, okay, look, you know, this guy wanted to kill his vice president, um, subvert democracy, overturn an election, stage a deadly violent coup, have AR-15 armed maniacs storm the Capitol. But you know what? He, you know, the economy was strong under him, so let's bring him back. Like, how does one's mind go to that place? He, he had my back, Andy. <laughs> he had my back. He had my best interest at heart. But I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I think until we answer that question and figure that out, like, okay, yeah, you go to China. They have, you know, great health care. But, like, what did they give up to get that? Like, I, I mean, I just don't understand this mentality of, Fuck everything as long as, like, my my 401k goes up. Like, I don't need democracy. I don't need... I don't know. I think we're just living in really strange, uncharted waters right now. And it's hard to... I think we feel it everywhere. There's a certain level of hate that has been unleashed. Things that people might have, have, you know, had... I hate to say it, but it's like there, there were certain things that we used to keep inside. You know, we used to sort of... You know, the frustrations, the... Yeah, white life. The, right. We never exactly. would have said white life before. No. And and the idea that there was something greater than ourselves. There was something called America that was part of all of our experiences. You know, this idea that we had a functioning democracy. Now that is completely thrown asunder. When I think about what do personal liberties mean, the idea that we're expanding access to lethal firearms and restricting access for women to make choices about their own bodies what the hell is happening in our country yeah well i'm gonna i'm gonna end on this last question um because our fellow democrats are all getting excited that roe is now a ballot issue in november 
And like, this right. is going to be the yep. thing that's going to mobilize everybody. We're going to get out. We're going to vote women, whether they're Republicans or independents or Democrats. This is the issue of it's my body, my decision, and I'm going to vote you out of office and put people in who are going to codify Roe through Congress, yada, yada, yada. You think that's, uh, is that more delusion than anything else or is that really going to happen? If it's if it's delusion, then I'm moving to Canada. But if it's not delusion, I do think that this is the thing that's going to get people out. I really, really believe. I mean, abortion is now actually officially banned in eight states. Trigger bans are set mm-hmm. to take effect very soon. There are lawsuits that are being thrown up just to try to keep these clinics open for the sort of waning hours. Everybody who was polled earlier on said that this would be an issue if Roe were overturned. I think it's going to be um, motivating. I just... You know, it's hard to say um, who's going to show up. I mean, it's it's up to women. It's up to younger generations. I do think that there's a sense. I mean, I was really disheartened in the 2016 election talking to some people who my nieces and nephews knew who were, you know, had just come up an age to vote and they did not vote. I don't know what it takes to motivate someone to actually get to a poll, but it's going to be high priority for me. Yeah, I hope you're right, because I think if uh, if Democrats lose the House and or the Senate uh, in November, we got much bigger problems than than the abortion issue, unfortunately. Um, Annie Sunberg, thank you so much. Uh, Guys out there, if you haven't seen any of Annie's films, please do so. She's an incredible filmmaker. She has made films about baseball, about uh, uh, genes- <laughs> from baseball to genocide in Darfur. She made a documentary about Joan Rivers, which is amazing. Uh, she's really one of the one of the great documentary filmmakers out there. Thanks again for joining us in the back room, Annie. Thank you so much, Andy. Have a have a good Fourth of July. You too. May, Take care. May May this country survive. <laughs> yes. <All right>. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. Bye. Well, that was really great. I think it's important, you know, that filmmakers tackle subjects like this uh, in a macro sense because there's a narrative that can be controlled to really get and hammer home a point. Um, Also equally important is when people share their own personal experiences and not just, uh, you know, referring to the macro problem, but bringing it down to a level where I think a lot of people at home can understand because they go through it too. And that brings us to our next guest um, who was in the news this week and shared her very personal story uh, in support of not just Roe v. Wade, obviously, but the, the issue of abortion and a woman's right to have one. Uh, she's a dear friend, a business partner, a fellow Hudson Valier, uh, and someone who also uh, is very opinionated like me, and, what? Not, and not afraid to speak her mind. And uh, just to prove that for a second, uh, <laughs> she tweeted this week to the Supreme Court, uh, fuck you, which is what I would love to say to them as well, Supreme Court, go fuck yourself. And so without further ado, she is Hillary Burton. She's an actor. She's an author. She's amazing. I tell you all the time that you are amazing. I don't know how you do what you do. She has two little kids, and she's going to talk about that in a second as we sort of shift our direction on the Roe v. Wade abortion issue. Uh, 
She has been in the news this week uh, sharing uh, her personal story, uh, which she will explain. And uh, you're also a TV show host now with, with uh, couldn't, what's it, um, it Couldn't Happen Here. Um, I mean, literally, Hillary Burton does a million things, and I don't know how she does it. So, Hillary, welcome into the back room. I'm so, <laughs> we certainly have solved all the world's problems over there, but I'm glad you're doing the, we have. And by the way, today is Hillary's birthday. So let's wish her a big, giant, <laughs> happy birthday. I think she's 20, what, 29 now? 30? Mm-hmm. Forever. I played a high schooler on TV. So that means I get to stay 17 forever, right? Yeah. I, well, I had Paul on our first episode and I was like, y- you're aging in reverse and I'm breaking out in liver spots. I don't know how that's happening. It's just not, <laughs> life is not fair. I mean, literally, I'm covered in liver spots. I look at my hands and I'm like, mom. Line. We'll all make so much money. Yeah. So you were in the news this week. You you tweeted about uh, George, your your daughter, uh, and uh, why don't you tell us what that was about and what what made you do that? Yeah, I mean, you certainly know that I come from a really conservative background. You know, there is kind of this mythology that actors or people who work in the entertainment industry are born in petri dishes in Los Angeles and they like grow up in this bubble and they don't know what the real world is like, but you've met my family, you know, you know, I come from Virginia. I come from about as a conservative household as you can come from. And that includes like being a part of the NRA that includes, you know, being a big part of the church. Um, So this polarization has been something that's very personal for me because obviously I don't follow those ideals you know I've been pretty vocal about what my opinions are Mm -hmm. but I see a lot of women still buying into the talking points that we were taught growing up in that community and I wanted to dispel the mythology that that those families like mine buy into You know, we were taught growing up that people who have abortions are loose women that have impulsive sex and then with total, you know, with a cavalier. You don't happen to have any of the numbers for those women, do you? Yeah, yeah. No, in fact, that's the only kind of woman I'm not with anymore. Um, (laughs) Those are my people. Um, But it's this, this thing that they would make like cavalier decisions just to kill a baby because they were sex fiends or irresponsible um, or so ignorant they couldn't keep their body in check. And, you know, I remember growing up and having to debate in seventh grade and in eighth grade civics and always choosing the side for life because that's what my church told me to do and that's what my parents told me to do. And then you leave the nest. And you meet other people who inform your opinion, um, expand your worldview in a way that hopefully makes you question everything you've been taught. You know, we're little parrots when we're kids. Mm-hmm. The first part about being a grown you have to stop being a parrot. And you have to really analyze the situation. So for me, the first girl I met in college who was like, oh, I've had an abortion. I was just gobsmacked. Like, what are you talking about? She's like, I had a boyfriend that was me and he you know messed with the condom and I was like what that happens like what are you talking about and then meeting other young women who had been sexually assaulted you know and and 
slowly these doors start opening up and people start sharing their most personal, awful um, experiences with you. And if you don't carry those, and if you don't make smarter decisions with that information, that's a cruel thing to do. So I obviously broke from my family, but that's not an easy thing for every woman there to do. You know, if you decide I'm going to disagree with my church, I'm going to disagree with my mom and my dad, I'm going to disagree with my siblings, you're on an island. Um, however, that island becomes more bearable if you know that other women are on their own islands as well. So for me, I didn't get an abortion because I didn't want a baby. I got an abortion because I want a baby more than anything in the world. And you know that. You know, you and Julie and Paul Rudd, you know, were with me through that whole journey trying to get pregnant, of losing my first pregnancy. I was devastated, devastated. And right. I have what some people call a DNC, which is basically where they, you know, they take everything out of you, but they do it so there's no scar tissue. And they do it so there's um, nothing left over that would hinder your ability to get pregnant in the future. And I've had a lot of people send me really messages this week. They're like, you're so fucking stupid. You don't know the difference between a miscarriage and an abortion. And I'm like, no, honey, I had to sign the paperwork that said in big, bold letters, abortion. I'm the one that had to pay the copay for my abortion. So trust me. But don't you love when people call you an idiot yeah. and they don't know i get emails all the time from people going you're a moron but it's y-o-u-r you're a moron i'm like well you're the moron all of those exact things like the wrong door <laughs> and put them in my Instagram stories just to be like here's a winner here's another winner <laughs> another winner right you know i wanted a baby more um and so that mythology that these are all loose women looking to just fix problem they have um no the only thing i was saying it doesn't make sense to continue to preach to the choir you know we have a great pro-choice community that is out there doing the work and i appreciate the work i see so many of my peers doing talking to women who have consistently voted against their own best interest is right is my goal you know and I mean, you have such a platform for that, and you, you know, women love you. Do you feel like you make inroads with that effort? It's, you know, it's in bits and pieces. You know, I've met a, an 18-year-old girl in Louisiana when I was there doing a movie, and she was just like, you know, you go to hell for having an abortion. And I was like, baby, I had one. And she was just like, what? It's normal. Yeah, well, if I'm in hell, you're with yeah, me, girl. Yeah, you know, I'll hold your hand. Um it's normalizing it in a way because the same way we used to not speak about miscarriage, right? Women still don't talk about their abortion stories because it's taboo, mm -hmm. it's problematic. It changes the way people look at you. Um, and so if we can normalize it, that stigma goes away, that taboo goes away. The other thing that really bothers me about these women who are not voting in their own best interest is that they can't see the five steps ahead, right? So they think we're mm -hmm. saving babies. This is so awesome. What they don't realize is that if abortion is illegal, if killing your fetus is illegal, 
it puts every single miscarriage under scrutiny because now your shitty neighbor or that lady at church that doesn't like you and your mom or that girl that you went to high school with or your abusive partner or your estranged family member can call law enforcement and say, mm-hmm. Hillary went across state lines and had an illegal abortion or Hillary induced her own abortion by drinking a fucking concoction. You know, it, it brings us back to the freaking Salem witch trials where all of a sudden, you know, goody Hillary, goody Burton is out there handing out abortion tea and we're putting women on trial for that. Having done six episodes of our Sundance show last year and eight more episodes this year, what we've seen in every case is that police coerce people to say things that are not true. So they've threatened witnesses. We're going to take away your kids. We're going to lock you up for that drug infraction. You know, we're, we're going to punish you unless you say what we want you to say. And so the likelihood of someone saying something that incriminates you is huge. And if you live in a, you know, if you live in an unhospitable community to women, a community that doesn't want women to have a choice. Right. You're in a really dangerous spot. Uh, the miscarriages that we only just started talking become so where, fodder. Where from- do we go from here? Yeah, but where where do we go from where do we go from here? Yeah. Where, if they're talking about contraception is next on the firing squad, like wh- where is this going? Like, is this are we really going back? To, is it, are we becoming the Handmaid's Tale? I mean, is that where this is headed? Women barefoot and pregnant back in the fifties. I think the Democratic Party needs to be as aggressive as humanly possible. Um, you know, I know you get those you get those emails from the Republican side. You know, like you get the. No, I do. Yeah, and so it's so interesting to see the the change in perspective on their headlines, right? Because somehow I'm signed up for those things. Someone must have been pranking me. Um, but the joy, the mirth attached to these rulings is so disheartening. It feels like a cruel high school ex boyfriend that's like, I just want to see you suffer. This is awesome. I'm going to make you cry and embarrass you in front of my friends. It's just, it's, um, it's cruel. And they're not taking into account what doctors are saying. Um, they're not taking into account the firsthand accounts of women who've lived this reality. Um, they're still very much buying into that mythology that I spoke about earlier. It's just a bunch of loose hussies. Let's punish them, you know? Yeah. Well, it's like what you said earlier as well. Like, it's women voting against their own interests, it makes it- which seems to be prevalent in the Republican Party overall. Yeah. Because they, it's a cult, and the and the cult leader tells them what they think and what they need and what they should be and what they can and can't do, and they're like, okay, great. And I just don't know where that ends because it seems to be getting worse and worse that people are voting against their own interests like for women to when i watched this uh, uh court ruling and all the people celebrating on the right women would be up with the microphone going this is a great day for like you're a woman you're you're literally celebrating a man taking control of your body yeah. what is wrong with you what is wrong with them what what makes them do that why is this a good thing for for women american christian 
has been um, turned into a pretty misogynistic uh, community. You know, in other in other parts of the world, there is always a divine to counterbalance the divine masculine. And in America, the father, son, and Holy Ghost are all male entities. And so from birth, the community is indoctrinated to believe that a male lens is the holy lens. And it is the correct one in which you, all of your you know, life decisions. Um, and so they kind of, the question that takes a lot of work, right? It's a question something you've been taught since birth is an act of serious rebellion. And so hopefully there are people out there trying to dispel that mythology. I don't know that, it's so weird to see Christ depicted as like misogynist that loves Trump and also hates minority. <laughs> right. What? what? That's not what Jesus, you got Jesus all wrong, people. No, that's not who he was. Growing up. Um, a Jewish liberal. That's who he was. Jesus was a Jewish liberal. Period. He would have lived on the Upper West Side if he could. Yeah, yeah. In like a rent-subsidized apartment. Jesus was Bernie's like, oh, you people, I can't. Right. I know, it's just religion, the flag, like it's just everything has been co-opted and twisted and, and mangled and distorted and destroyed. It's just, it's hard. I'm a, I try to, re, you know, remain a glass-half-full person, but it's hard these days to be a glass-half-full person. It just seems like... It just seems like this country is is in a really bad state, and then you try to find the the silver linings or where it's headed in a positive way, and it's hard to it's hard to do that. So I remember when American Idol came out, and they came on TRL where I was hosting to promote the show, and I was like, I hate this show, and everyone's like, What are you talking about? This show is amazing. I said, This show has turned voting into a game. Right? I said, this is going to be the downfall of democracy in the United States. They're like, Hillary, you're so, you're so, like, such a drama queen. You're so exaggerating, making a big deal of nothing. I was like, no, watch. People are going to find it funny to vote for the not talented person. They're just going to vote for whatever is sensational. Right? right. So a couple seasons in, William Hung wins. Right? This boy who was not a good. One of America's greatest singing talents, by the yeah, way. Yeah, and they made him the butt of the joke, but everyone leaned yeah. to it, and it was cruel, and it was bombastic, and it was sensational, and that's what's happened to American democracy. They voted for a fucking game show host, and instead of saying we messed up, they have to double down, because God forbid anyone say, oh, God, I made a bad choice. Um, it's voting has turned into sports you know when you watch the news it looks exactly like espn you've got the ticker at the mm -hmm. you've got the little mm -hmm. thing on the side of the screen it's lightning fast um it's all instead of oj we got trump yes yes so it's just it's I, just it's sad uh, you know what's that I said it's just sad because I don't I don't know where it goes from here. Well, you know what's the what's the solution? I think the solution you know. is obviously bleeding all over the dance floor is one. Of them. You know, apparently we're all going to have our personal lives in order for people to understand that it isn't just the brazen hussy out there getting abortion. It's your cousin and it's your neighbor and it's your mom and it's your college. Right. It's all the women you know. Um, what do they say? Like one in four women have them. There's some crazy yeah. statistics. 
So either we have to divulge all our personal information. Fine. I'm okay with it. Not everybody is. So hopefully there are enough of us that can get away with that, that we make an impression. The other thing is it's laying out what is going to happen for people in a way that is digestible and understandable. So explaining to women, look, I know you've had miscarriages. When my book came out where I wrote about my thousands and thousands and thousands of women wrote to me. I lost my baby. I lost my baby. Explaining to them that that pain that they're only now just hearing is going to be so much worse when there is a criminal investigation into whether or not they self-induced their miscarriage. Right. Mm-hmm. That is such an important part of this. And the other important part is this elitist mentality that only wealthy people deserve to be able to have. You know, if you are a low-income married couple, the message you are getting is that if you can't afford a baby, it's not for you. Right. It's for us, the elites. Hillary, thank you so much. Happy birthday again. I uh, hope you do something a lot more fun today than than talk about this stuff uh, for a few minutes. Uh, but I do commend you for talking about it. You're, you're always out there, uh, not just highlighting important situations, but where and when you can, tying it back to your own life to use that experience. I, I, I've done that in my life. I mean, we all go through challenges and tragedy and whatever. And I think it's important to share that and because it, it, it gives life to what the words that you're saying. So thank you for doing that and uh, enjoy your day. So there you have it, episode three in the can. We'd love to hear your thoughts, so leave us a message at 845-307-7446 or shoot us an email at backroomandy, that's all one word, backroomandy at gmail.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Andy Ostroyd. Thank you, Maddie Rosenberg, engineer and producer extraordinaire. And I want to give a special shout-out to Cricket Langell for our logo graphic design that she created, Andy Hollander for his kick-ass music, and a big thank you once again to our phenomenal guests, filmmaker Annie Sunberg and Hillary Burton. So keep your eyes on Washington, Hollywood, and your own backyards, and we hope you'll join us again next time. Have a great week, and enjoy the 4th of July holiday weekend.